Welcome to This Week in Missouri Politics from the Missouri State Capitol here in Jefferson City. We are joined by the man who's been state treasurer for 100 days last Friday, Vivek Malik. Welcome back to the show. Thank you, Scott. Appreciate that. You ain't letting any grass grow underneath you these first 100 days, have you? Well, we have been working hard in the office, and I'm grateful to my team in my office who have done a wonderful job in making sure that we come out strong in my first 100 days. Tell me some of the things you've been working on. So, uh, in the first 100 days, we have returned $21 million in unclaimed property, which is a record in itself uh, for the first 90 days or 100 days. Then we have had 140 million deposits in the, under the MOBUX program, and we had 1,497 in the MOBUX program that this office manages. This is unclaimed property. I've seen some ads for it. I've heard, I've heard every state treasurer ever talk about it. How would a person have unclaimed property, and how would they come and call your office and find it? Well, you can get unclaimed property from various sources. If you had closed a bank account and had some money in it, that would come to unclaimed property. If there was a check that was sent out to you and you never claimed it, that would be coming to unclaimed property. And if there's an insurance proceed that, uh, from a will uh, that you were never aware of, that would end up in an unclaimed property. We had more than a million dollars during my first uh, three days in return that came to an insurance policy. Well, I'll bet the old boy was glad to get that, right? Yeah. All right, so um, I've seen you come on road editorial this week about DEI. DEI is something that I think is somewhat new to a lot of folks, but diversity, equity, and inclusion, and you really credited Moon Choi for some of his work on DEI. Break down what is DEI, and break down what your uh, compliments were to the university. Well, uh, DEI, as they explained it, it's a nice uh, liberal thought that we all appreciate who have diversity. But what I believe is that the politics needs to stay away from our academic institutions. It is uh, not the place where we do that, that kind of divisive politics. For our academic institutions, merit should be the criteria in hiring and in promotions because the Missouri students deserve the best teachers that they can have in their university so that they can get the advantage ahead of everybody else when they're going into the job market. And when you throw out stuff like diversity, equity, and inclusion, you are getting people ahead where they are subscribing to that initiative where you can be a good researcher, good teacher. But if there is a good researcher just proponing on to this uh, initiative DEI, he could get the job and other kid could be left out who is a good teacher. So we don't want uh, these initiatives in our schools and our higher ed, ed institutions. And although I always felt when people explain these things to me, I think a regular fair-minded person would say, you know, African-Americans have had a harder road to hoe than a lot of other people in this country. And if you do a few things to try to help level that, but it feels like you can't just do a few things. Has to, things has to be either all or nothing. And it goes a little too far and folks push back on it. I came the hard way. I had only $300 in my pocket and two suitcases. And uh, I worked hard. I got an education. I, I think yeah, education is your ticket out and hard work is your ticket out. And if you go to my office, I have a portrait of George Washington Carver as one of the Missouri's, America's great scientist, a great Missourian. He had the hardship you have read through what hardships he went through to him in his life. He was a slave child and uh, was an orphan and uh, was denied admission even though he was an intellectual. Uh, at various colleges, finally got admitted to Iowa State, and one of the best scientists we had in our country. Hardship define you. They don't undermine you. I like it. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I've watched as you've uh, proceeded through, you started to grow the Republican Party. 
Tell folks about something. I, we looked at your uh, ethics report of all your donations. A lot of names on that I've never seen before in this state that I've never seen give to Republicans. Talk about some of the work you're doing specifically to grow the party and how that fundraising has been a part of that. Well, I have practiced immigration law in my past 18 years, and I have a lot of uh, folks I have helped with the legal immigration issues. And uh, some of those donors were my clients, former clients. But what I see when an immigrant is coming to this country, I see them as a conservative for a simple reason. Because if you come to this country, you don't come with a stash of money. You work hard and you make your own uh, destiny here, earning that money. So they are not the people who are looking for handouts. You take the example of the Bosnian community in St. Louis, how they saved the South St. Louis city. 60,000 strong population of Bosnia, even though they came in as refugees, they're hardworking people. So they, so when you see an immigrant, he's a hardworking person, cares for the family, he has strong family values, and they're people of faith. These are the all three basic values of a conservative. So how can they not be conservative? That was my pitch to all the people. You are conservative. The reason not conservative, or not Republican, I should say, is that the Republican Party sometimes is viewed as antagonistic toward their being here. And if somebody didn't want me around, I don't know that I'd want to agree with them either. And that's what my, one of my roles I have to undertaken is to broaden the base of the party. We need to do a better job in out, uh, reaching out to those folks who have shared the same values as we do, especially with our children, for uh, kids, when we talk about all this uh, issue of transgender and stuff, uh, mutilating, mutilating our kids and in these clinics. Uh, these people don't subscribe to those issues. Uh, and you will see very strong opinions from from the folks that uh, uh, that I come from, the community I come from. So I, I think we got to protect our kids, and that's you know, you talk about communities. The community I come from agrees with you. I think folks in West Butler County don't think those folks should be running little schools and have access to little kids. Let's talk about Mobucks Window. Speaking of where I'm from, a guy that's just from a few hills over from me, Wendell Bailey. He talked about Mobux all the time. Tell folks what Mobux is and the problem we're having right now with you running up on the cap of it. Yeah. Well, Mobux is a great program that uh, Treasurer Wendell Bailey started back in the 80s. And what I can say is uh, this is a program that helps small businesses with less than 100 employees. The program that helps farmers get the loan at an affordable rate that they need to make sure that they are uh, having a good crop season. So what Mobux does is if you go to a bank today and you have, because of inflation and high interest rates, your interest rate would be 8, 8.5%, 7.5%. Once the application is made to a state treasurer's office through the bank who has approved your loan, we'll put a deposit of the same amount in that bank as a CD for five years. And instead of asking for a rate of return of 4.5 or 4%, we ask for a rate of return of 1% or 1.5% thereby we uh, distribute that spread of 3% to the loanee, to the bank. That's why the bank is not armed. We do take a little hit, but that is for the greater good, and which offsets eventually based on what the revenues the state receives. And it's been wildly popular, right? Yes, wonderful. But it's so popular, you're about to hit the cap, is that correct? We, if, if going at the same pace, we have slowed down the application process because we lost one employee who was processing these. Uh, it used to take about three to four weeks to process these applications. Right now, due to the number of population that our employees uh, strength, it takes about seven to eight weeks to approve those. So we'll be hitting the cap. We have a bill in the Senate once approved. We hope to have that increased uh, by $200 million more 
to reach the, uh, to bring the cap to $1 billion. So it's funny to me, a lot of things in government just don't work. But the things that do work, you ought to do more of, right? We need to land on four. That's right. I saw something great. I saw a picture of your daughter up here at the Capitol. Uh, what's that feel like to bring your daughter to the Capitol? You're the state treasurer of this state. The place is full. Folks coming in, in and out of your office, and your daughter gets to see you in that office. That's got to make your heart feel special. Oh, yes. That was a special moment. She had a spring break. I brought her for two days, and she had a wonderful time. She snuck into governor's office. I don't know, I think the reception desk was too high and she was under the radar. And she sat into the governor's office and just pointed at the governor saying, I know you, <laughs> and got a hug out of that. So so that was funny. And she was going around the state drift's office and knocking doors and hiding. And those people would come out and see who was, who was knocking door. So I was, I was saying she was, she would get me in trouble, but she was a hoop. Well, you had a heck of a hundred days. Here's hoping you have a, another uh, successful uh I guess, a few thousand days in the office. I hope you come back and talk about it with us on This Week in Missouri Politics. No, I am very glad I got this opportunity to pay back uh, and uh, my blessings back to Missourians and to the great state. And uh, I have had a good first quarter in my fundraising, too. I'm very proud of that as well. And we are going strong. Louis Malik, thank you for joining us. We'll be right back with our Opinion Maker panel. New legislator from Columbia is going to be out. State is going to join us. But first, do me a favor. Go to showmissouri.com, history of Missouri, one count at a time. Myself, the birthday boy who turned 55 this week, Ryan McKenna, former Governor Nixon, talked all about the history of Jefferson County. And later this morning, Judge Mike Carter show. Justice and journalism with Judge Carter. It's going to be great. Stick around. 1130 today. We'll be right back after this. For more than a century, the St. Louis Carpenters Union has shaped our communities. Through trusted alliances, we deliver skilled professional craftspeople while our business partners provide the kind of quality jobs that keep our economy humming. It's a blueprint that has worked since 1882. Turning Missouri into a right-to-work state stalls progress, wipes out jobs, and kills momentum. Right-to-work is wrong for everyone. Let's keep Missouri moving forward. Visit carpdc.org to learn more. All throughout Missouri, businesses are struggling to find workers. Childcare challenges are a big reason why. Our kids are losing out too. Through high-impact early childhood investments, we can support the workforce of today and better prepare our workforce of tomorrow. Empower families with the resources they need to succeed. Reduce crime and avoid costly interventions, saving taxpayers money. Together, we can make Missouri the best place to work, raise a family, and be a kid. We all know puppy mills, cruelty, neglect, and pet store puppies are at high risk for disease, even death. We expect our laws to protect dogs, but now an out-of-state company called Petland is trying to change our state law to enable puppy mill cruelty. We all know it'll hurt the dogs we love. Contact your state legislators. Tell them, protect our dogs. Vote no on the cruelty. Vote no on the harmful puppy mill bill. Data captured by our state-of-the-art monitors helps us pinpoint the timing and location of severe weather more accurately and respond to trouble more quickly. Ameren Missouri's investment in smart technologies like this is one way we're improving reliability and restoring power faster than ever. Responding to trouble before trouble hits. That's energy at work. Ameren, Missouri. Welcome back to this week in Missouri Politics. Opinion maker time from the state capitol here. Representative Gretchen Banger, welcome back to the show. Thank you. First time on the show, new legislator from Columbia, Kathy Seidoff. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for inviting me. 
Chris Diggins from God's Country in Iron County. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Did you is it did is did I read where you won another state title in basketball? Uh, we did. This is our third straight title. Title Town. And uh Brett Dinkins from Title Town with Victory Enterprise. Thank you for joining us. Right. Thanks for having me. All right, let's stop let's jump right in on the budget. Representative Banger. Uh the Senate the Senate passed a budget. It um it had a lot of things the House budget did not have, but it had something it, it took something out the House put in. It was a DEI thing. It just explained to me. Like, I'm a simple hillbilly from West Butler County. What is DEI? DEI is diversity, inclusion, and what's equity. And basically what it did is it put uh, the House version, put DEI into each of the budget bills, and therefore basically it would tie our hands in doing business with anybody that did not have DEI uh, policies. So, And how did you vote on that? Oh, I voted against that. Actually, I voted present because I was in agreement with the big sections of the budget, but I was against the DEI, so I did vote present. So this is your first time observing this process. Uh, I've heard a lot of people compliment many things about the House budget and how it was put together and the process it went through. But you have to think, okay, you really are going to make this monumental change the last day at the last minute. I would say to a person who's first time seeing this that had to be like, this is really how this works. That's exactly how I felt because... Uh, we had had opportunities before that where it could have been brought up, and it was yeah. never brought up before then. And I think the other concern I had is that the language wasn't clear enough that we could even decide what it was addressing. So often people would ask the uh, amendment handler, what do you mean by that? Does that mean this? And we'd always hear, no, it doesn't. So it was very vague. Well, I think you couldn't even pay the light bill from the House budget because she couldn't write a check to right? Correct. <laughs> Representative, uh, you've seen several of these. My assumption is uh, most of your colleagues probably think doing something on this issue is a good thing. And I assume at some point you will. I would say most of the folks that even voted yes on the amendment were probably like, oh, good Lord. Well, you're right. At first, people didn't really realize what was going on and took a couple of bills to go through before we figured out what was going on. And then we saw a lot of votes changing. We Not that we don't want something to happen with this, but where it was occurring on the budget bill was not the right place at the right time. Always we kind of felt like most folks, folks in Iron County, they'd probably think, well, there's certain folks that have had a little harder road to hoe. And if you want to do a few of these things, that's fine. But it feels like in today's culture, you can't just use judgment and do a little bit of something. You have to do nothing at all or have to do a ton of it. And maybe the line has been pushed too far, but is the budget the place to fix that? No, I don't believe it is. I don't think we need to be legislating through the budget process. We need to keep the budget separate. It, we have a hard enough time agreeing on what needs to be in there without adding this to it and without complicating things with the way the language was written. The language needs to be a little more clearly defined, and I think we can do something different in another area. You know, you've watched a lot of these come through. Uh, you know, when the House, it's kind of, it's kind of um, almost predictable at this point. They're going to do something that makes the Senate actually write the budget. This year, they went into the last day, at the last minute, and then I'm sure the senators were like, oh, this is awesome. Yeah, good deal. Well, I will say that, you know, Doug Ritchie says that he cleared the language with the attorney general, and I do trust that if that was the case, that they said it was, in fact, constitutional, I trust the attorney general's judgment on that. Um, you know, Missouri isn't a full-time legislature, so you don't have the luxury of saying I can put it off for a few more months at this point in the session you're really committing to waiting until the following year. So I don't necessarily blame him for taking advantage of the opportunity he had in front of him when filing for legislation was closed. Blame a candidate for doing something to get attention, but you can blame leadership for saying that's not what we're doing here. 
Yeah, I mean, leadership had the opportunity, but I, I do think if they thought there was a constitutional problem with the uh, the legislation or, or using the budget as the method, um, that, you know, Speaker Parker would have stopped that. Let's talk about something they did right in the Senate. Uh, they took this one-time federal money and leveraged a bunch of ways, and I, I think Lincoln Love's got a bunch of dull pencils in his office from whipping it, but they could put the money to, to do I-70, three lanes across the state. When you leave here, Representative, and you get to, if, assuming the House doesn't totally break all precedent and actually win a conference vote, when you vote on this budget, you go home. When you're out of office, is there anything you will have done that have impacted this state more than to vote to build I-70 across the state? Oh, absolutely not. This is going to be incredible for our state. So many people drive through our state to get to where they're going in our country and to have the two lanes and the bottleneck. I mean, I drive it to Jeff City and to Kansas City. Most of us do take Highway 70. And just having that extra lane that we have now that you can pass going up the hill, that you can totally see how three lanes will be a big benefit. So it's going to help our entire state. I'm constantly shocked folks in Columbia vote Democrat when they have to go from the 6370 interchange and know the government built that. Maybe the worst interchange, I don't, I'm not an engineer, but I've never seen anything as, as just a pain. Like you almost want to avoid at all costs that interchange. It's going to be fixed now, right? Right, and be great. I mean, depending on which direction you're going, some places it's a great thing, but most of the time now we'd agree. But uh, yeah, we're really looking forward to having some fix in that area. How big is that for Columbia? Not just Columbia. It's where the state's flagship university is. It, it is the heart of America. It, it is, it's just very, it's, it's dangerous. There's a few places in this state where you have to almost turn your phone off and really focus because it is hard to get through Columbia. It, it, now it's going to be a whole different world. And that, that's going to totally not just change Missouri, but, but Columbia in a lot of ways. Oh, definitely. Uh, you know, we talk about how do we attract visitors? How do we attract businesses? How do we attract commerce? Well, they've got to physically be able to get to all, all parts of our state to do that. And so Columbia is very excited to be a part of this. You know, when you think about the state, our part of the state, how big was it when 60 came through? And now 67, you could actually get a straight shot from our part of the state north. Now it's going south. And when 60 goes across, it, it really does open up a whole different set of opportunities and allows people, people want to live where we are. They just have to be able to work, get a job and get there. And if they have broadband and a road, it makes a difference. And I really think and we don't like to admit it always, but a lot of the services that you get paid for in our neck of the woods are paid for by the cities. I think this is the best thing you'd ever do to unlock the cities and have so much more transportation jobs and, and, and logistical jobs. It's what Missouri has to offer, and we're going to take advantage of it. I think it is a good economic driver. A lot of times the people in our neck of the woods don't understand that. They don't want, they're not asking for a third lane. They're asking for a shoulder on the road. And uh, so it's hard to, to explain to them that this is going to impact the entire state and how much it will impact um, our local area, even though the money isn't directly coming there. I believe, though, putting that third lane on I-70 probably helps pay for that shoulder at some point. I think you're going to see that money come back. It will, I believe, in time. And, you know, I wish also that we would have been able to get a federal match to do all of that. You know, that's a big thing. And uh, hopefully we'll see some federal dollars come our way with it. I think you're giving Eric Schmidt a to-do list, right? That's what I hear. You know, Brad, it, it, folks, you drive the state quite a bit. And the folks that leave here and go up to Kingdom City and go over, it's, it's thick. But once you get to Columbia towards Kansas City, the speed limit can say 70. But if it's not 2 in the morning, you can drive about 55, 60 because the, the traffic is too thick. Yeah, at best. Um, I think this is going to be not just big for St. Louis, Columbia, and Kansas City who are going to benefit from that. But all the towns and counties along the way are going to see an increase in revenue, I think, by increased tourism. 
their local shops, restaurants, gas stations, things of that nature. I also saw the Senate went ahead and funded libraries. Now, Brett, I will not, we're, you're a buddy of mine, so you would not believe me if I told you I spent a lot of time at the library. But I'm sort of pessimistic that there's a whole bunch of porn there. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm, I'm someone who, my librarian was one of my favorite educators growing up, and I, I was a big fan of libraries, I liked reading. I think, um, you know, we've seen the budget uh, <laughs> be used as a tool, and it's re-election year, and some of these things coming up, and I think that's fine. But at the end of the day, they did fund um, several important things, all of Governor Parsons' early childhood um, and, and education, early education proposals were fully funded, which I think was huge. And so we did see them get to work on really prioritizing some needs of the citizens of our state. Uh, I just don't believe there's a whole bunch of porn at the library. Am I wrong? There's no porn at the library. If there is, I'm not aware of it. Our libraries is a neat meeting place for our folks in our district, especially we have a program called the GrandPad program where our elderly people can go and check out an iPad and use that to, you know, search things, uh, apply for certain things that they need to apply for and have internet usage for that. And the kids and all the programs, our libraries, our libraries are the heart of our community. So maybe if they have rural broadband now at the library, people will go bet on the Chiefs. Except you can't bet on the Chiefs in Missouri for some reason. I, why can't you just bet on the Chiefs? I don't get it. Well, uh, it's not hard to get. There's a simple answer. His name's Denny Hoskins. I mean, the reality is um, Senator Hoskins is holding up a piece of legislation um, for a completely uh, different and unrelated piece of legislation. And right this weekend, we're going to see tens of thousands of sports fanatics head to Kansas City. And these are the people who are all in on sports and excited about the NFL draft. And they're going to be staying there, spending money in hotels and restaurants um, and placing bets. But unfortunately, all of that is going to the Kansas side uh, because Missouri still doesn't have sports betting. It's interesting. I think you'll see as you go through your career, your first year, you'll be a, a grizzled veteran and seen it all before long. But I would think regular people you talk to are probably confused as to why you can't put a 10 bucks on the Chiefs like you can everywhere else in the world. It's bizarre. I would agree with you. Yes. And, you know, coming down here and learning about so many different things that we have legislation on, that was one of the very first ones that we were approached about. And it became very clear this idea of a clean bill, which is what I think we passed out of the House, because we think the sports betting there's a lot of interest in, but it's the other things being tacked on that make it hard to get across the finish line. Tell me this. I, I would say the House would probably be very open to helping any bill that someone had if they got sportsbook done, right? Oh, yes. I would think there's room to deal there. Uh, and if I had to guess where this goes next is the sports team just say, okay, fine, whatever. We're going to block any, anything that happens next year, and we're just going to go to the public, and they'll pass it 80-20. Well, they certainly would pass it easily, I think, like we've seen in the past uh, with a few other things that were recently put on the ballot. Um, I don't see a problem why it wouldn't pass. I think we need to do it our job and get it done. Gonna, I, I think where this is heading, if I just looked at my stein of knowledge, would be nothing happens this year. The sports teams say, whatever. We're going to have a lobbyist kill anything you do next year. And frankly, if you pass a bill now, the state will get some revenue and some tax money off this and direct it to some programs. If the, if the sports teams do it themselves, I'm sure there'll be something. But they'll, if they have to do it themselves, why would they do anything but the most favorable thing for them? Exactly. I totally agree. I mean, we need to do something as a state. And we have a couple weeks left. I'm, I'm hopeful that something will come through because we're losing the revenue. As you said, they're going over to Kansas and placing their bets there. And the huge, just the NFL thing that we have this weekend. I mean, huge for our state, the money that it's generating.
and to have that sports betting, we'd be generating much more. Robertson, I don't, to me, I'm not a big gambler. And also, I don't gamble in gas stations. But I think if you want to gamble in a gas station, that's your business, your money, whatever you want to do. I just do think that the, the VLT lobby has kind of hostage this sports book for, I don't know, five, six years now. The hostage is about to be free, right? The hostage has a day when this is no, they're no longer going to be the hostage. I wonder if at some point the VLT folks realize, okay, no matter what we do, this is over here in a couple of weeks. Maybe that's the time for a deal. Well, I certainly hope they come up with a deal sooner than later. The time, the clock is ticking and it's costing the state money and we need to get it done. Prediction, is this just something that people have to take over and do themselves? I think they will if it doesn't pass this year, but I'm still confident there's time to get it done. What do you think? The people are just going to do this themselves, aren't they? Probably, yes. What happens? Well, I'm optimistic that we'll be able to take care of it ourselves. I'm hopeful for this year. I'm really hopeful. Yeah, I, I'll vote no. There's people, if, if you want to, if you want to bet on the Chiefs, you got to do it yourself. Uh, I can't have you on and not talk about schools. A lot of school legislation flying. Give me something you think could actually happen that would be good for the state. Well, we have a huge ominous bill, a 497, that was voted out of the House in uh, late March, I want to say. And the Senate took it up and had a hearing earlier this week. There's some good stuff in that bill. Um, one of the things is to offer scholarships for folks that are going to go into hard-to-teach schools or areas or hard-to-teach subjects. Um, another part of that is allowing folks that are on retirement, have their teacher's retirement, to be able to go back into the classroom and teach more hours. We're so desperate for teachers. We have a huge need for that. I also have to plug that's in there is my cursive handwriting that I've been working on for several years. So all of our folks in our state can read and write cursive handwriting. So that's a big ominous bill. There was another bill that passed out of education um, this week, uh, Representative Brown's bill that deals with um, accreditation, um, using an outside source to accredit our schools rather than DESE. And it also um, includes a portion to remove the MAP testing requirement in our schools. So, What's something that's out there that you think could happen that would be good? I've got House Bill 70 over in the Senate, and that's a school protection officer bill, and that would allow uh, others in the school besides a certified staff member to be a, deemed a school protection officer and carry either mace or a uh, weapon, as you know, in our areas. It might take 45 minutes for a police officer to arrive, and so we need to make sure we're doing everything we can to keep our kids protected. Hello. Well, limit left to one the week. Who won the week? I would say the people that live in the Hazelwood School District, Jana Elementary, uh, where radioactive waste was found a few months ago. Actually, it's been about a year or so. Um, radioactive waste was found there. The school was closed down. The students were all pushed out into different schools. Senator Hawley's office uh, heard about this issue and pushed legislation through this week uh, that passed. So the federal government is going to come in and do the cleanup and inspect all of the schools in Hazelwood and Coldwater Creek. So. Huge win for the radioactive waste issue that we have. It's, it's a great one. Um, I'm going to say the ACLU uh, judge on Wednesday uh, temporarily blocked the attorney general's emergency rule against uh, restrictions on gender affirming care. And I think every day we can delay any of this is saving lives. Well, anytime the government's dealing with the ACLU, they ain't coming after you, right? Cool in the week. I'm going to say the Senate for passing IP and sending it back to us. So we've been working on this for several years now, and uh, they finally got something done without shutting down. I thought maybe it was a coincidence that you, while they were passing IP, you started doing Senate bills. Uh, I don't know how that works. Who won the week? It's got to be Kansas. I mean, they're going to be toasting to Denny Hoskins this weekend, enjoying their beers during the NFL draft, knowing they got all our revenue. He don't let up, does he? <laughs>
All right, I'm going to say Justin Brown, the center from Raw, the Thomas Jefferson of parking law. He had probably the most substantial bill of the year filed with Liberated High Street. Him and the new mayor of Jeff City, Ron Fitzwater, won the week. They worked out a deal. You can finally come to your state capital without being harassed. They won the week, hands down. We hope you'll win the week next week by coming back here and joining us on This Week in Missouri Politics. This Week in Missouri Politics is sponsored by the Missouri Automobile Dealers Association, Ameren, Spire, and the United Electric Cooperative.